0: Old Testament can seem like exploring an old mysterious mansion packed with all sorts of strange rooms the creation room vast and sublime the Exodus room with hard hearted pharaohs and dried up seas the war room with bloody swords and crumbling walls the tabernacle room with smoking altars and ark inner sanctums what does this odd and ancient world have to do with us who are modern followers of Jesus as it turns out everything every chapter in the old testament in a variety of ways tells the story that culminates in jesus our savior what christians today call the old testament is what jesus and the earliest believers called the scriptures this was their bible from its pages they taught about the messiah's divine nature his priestly work and his ministry of salvation My guest today is Chad Bird. We'll discuss his book, The Christ Key, Unlocking the Centrality of Christ in the Old Testament. Chad Bird is a scholar in residence at 1517. He served as a pastor, professor, and guest lecturer in Old Testament and Hebrew. He holds master's degrees from Concordia Seminary and Hebrew Union College. Chad has authored numerous books and speaks at conferences and congregations. Chad and his wife, Stacy, live in the Texas Hill Country. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Chad, for being my guest today on Family Shield.
1: Well, thank you, Kay, for having me. I've been looking forward to the conversation.
0: Well, I have too. So tell us why you wrote this book.
1: Well, the long and short of it is, I see, as do a whole lot of people in the Church today, kind of a, a neglect of the Old Testament. I've been, uh, I've fallen in love with the Old Testament a long time ago, and and, and love the, the vivid stories that are there, the promises that are there, and all the various ways that the Old Testament tells us about Jesus. But what I find in a lot of churches, uh, just spread across various denominations, is you know, a heavy focus on the New Testament, but kind of a light focus on the Old Testament. So one of the things I wanted to do in writing this book is to introduce people to this mansion, as you described it there in the in the introduction, that's full of all kinds of you know, odd stories and strange rituals and people who come from a very foreign culture, to introduce people to this world and to show them how all of these various smaller stories are part of the big story of Scripture, the big story of salvation, which begins in those early chapters of Genesis and takes us step by step until we get to the birth of Jesus. So it was my attempt to try and open up the Old Testament to people's eyes to let them see that this is a Christian part of the Bible. It's not pre-Christian, it's the Christian part of the Bible. It just talks about Jesus with a different accent than the new testament does so that was my main goal in writing
0: it that's great i think it comes through loud and clear so in chapter one you talk about the layered bible what is the layering of scripture and then share a couple examples
1: yeah sure so of course today we think about the bible as a completed book uh in literally between between two covers and that's because of course we now live in a time when the bible has been completed for a long time. But say you were living in the time of Joshua, or later on you were living in the time of David, or even later you were living in the time of Malachi, for instance. Well, depending on where you lived in the time of the Old Testament, the Scriptures would have been, of course, a lot smaller, because not everything had yet been written. So, for instance, if you lived in the time of Joshua, your Bible would only be five books long. Or if you lived in the time of David, it would be a few books longer, and so on and so forth. So what happens is, over time, as every, as the Bible gets bigger, as more and more books are written, as more and more prophets come along, they are building upon the Scriptures that were written before them. So what you begin to see, for instance, are emerging themes in the Scripture. I'll give you just a couple examples. One of these is the emerging theme of God bringing people home from exile. So he brings Abraham and Sarah out of their exile in Egypt. He will bring his whole nation of Israel out of exile in Egypt. He will bring, later on, David from his exile when Saul was persecuting him. So each of these layers of Scripture begin to build upon and reflect, and in some cases amplify, the themes and the stories that came before them. And it's important to realize, because when we get to the New Testament, what we'll often find is that the life of Jesus is described by hearkening back to these earlier layers of Scripture. So, for instance, he's talked about as a kind of new and better Moses, or he's described as someone who is similar to Jonah in that he spends three days in the belly of the earth. So the New Testament itself is built upon this long and Deep layering that we have in the Old Testament itself.
0: That's great. That's great. And um, I know we always say Scripture interprets Scripture, but uh, I had never really caught the fact that the different books help interpret the next book. That that was not something that I had ever heard before, and I find it really interesting. And thank you so much for yeah that information.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that is a uh, an often overlooked point is that, yeah, you have Joshua interpreting Deuteronomy, or you'll have Judges interpreting something that happened earlier in Exodus. So, yeah, the Scriptures are interpreting Scripture also in the sense that they are reflecting these earlier
0: Scriptures. Interesting. Interesting. Good. So what do Jesus and his disciples say concerning the centrality of Christ in the Old Testament? And I wrote some of your Bible verses that you had uh out. so I could read them if you want to comment on them or if you want to just summarize and then I could share just a couple of them.
1: Yeah, I can kind of summarize them up front. Okay. Uh, probably the most well-known comes from the famous Road to Emmaus uh, encounter that Jesus has with two of his disciples on the day of his resurrection. Of course, people are, these two disciples are distraught, they're disappointed because Jesus has been crucified, and Jesus comes up and is talking with them and of course we have this famous lecture basically that he gives them where he beginning with Moses and then with all the prophets he interpreted to the he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures so basically Jesus walks literally beside them but he also walks them through the entirety of the scriptures pointing out how all of these various books in a variety of ways talks about him. And we have the same thing in John chapter 5, where Jesus is talking to his his detractors in that case, and he says that you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these, that is, it is these scriptures that testify of me. And the scriptures he's talking about there, of course, would have been for first century Jews, what we refer to as, as the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And you have this same thing repeated in in the preaching of Peter in the book of Acts. You have this repeated in the, the writings of Paul as well. They're, they're always pointing the early disciples, the Christians, back to Genesis through Malachi as this repository of stories and Proverbs and Psalms that are leading us to Jesus the Messiah.
0: That's right. And that's, uh, I, I think I've always known when they refer to Scripture that they were referring back to the Old Testament. But um, just as I looked at all the verses that you had, it's like, oh yeah, it's all over the place, but the early disciples and the apostles didn't have any of the New Testament to refer to, uh, they only had the Old Testament, and that comes through so clearly in your book. And uh, so, uh, if we say we can't witness today to maybe unbelieving Jews, that certainly wouldn't be true, would it?
1: No, no, because I think that was that's the perfect text for us to use when speaking to to Jews about about the Messiah. So, for you know, the Bible that Jesus read was what we refer to as the Old Testament, that was the Bible of the, the earliest Christians, because, as you point out, Paul had not yet written Romans, uh, Matthew had not re- yet written his Gospel, so for those first few years, when the disciples of Jesus were teaching and preaching about the Messiah, all they had was the Old Testament. And of course, with us today, if we're talking to to Jews, to religious Jews who still are reading the scriptures, these are the prophecies and the stories that we can use to Mm -hmm. witness to them about the one who's actually fulfilled these prophecies.
0: Absolutely, yes, very good. So in chapter 2, just a question, why should Christians believe the scriptures are God-breathed, and what do you mean by God-breathed? Just share a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so that's the of course the actual language that that Paul uses when he talks about the the scriptures. We sometimes refer to it that they are inspired, which is just another way of saying they are breathed in. So the Holy Spirit is the way I like to put it is this. So if you imagine the Bible as not just one book, but it's a whole library of books under, you know, between two covers. So the Bible is all this collection of books and of course You have many authors scattered from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So you have multiple authors of multiple books that comprise the Bible. But there's actually one unifying author behind all of them, and that's the Holy Spirit. You can speak of each biblical book as co-authored, if you will. There's Moses writing, or there's Isaiah writing, or there's Matthew writing, but the one author behind all of these is the Holy Spirit. And so because he is the one breathing out his words through these particular apostles and prophets. We speak of these writings as inspired or or God-breathed, and that means that the words that we have in the Scriptures are God's own words. They're, they come from a human being, of course, mm-hmm. but they are, more importantly, his words to us. So yeah. that's what the God-breathed part of the Scriptures means.
0: Very good. I always love to share... Old Testament prophecies about Christ and the fulfillment in the New Testament with people. Because for me, it helps me know why I believe what I believe, because it's impossible for some of these Old Testament prophecies that were made thousands of years before Christ was born uh, to have been fulfilled in the New Testament. And yet all of these little details um, were there for us and we see that fulfillment in the New Testament. And I think a lot of times people just totally miss those. Um, and yeah. I, I feel like it's really important that we, um, and we don't need to talk about them now because that wasn't really what I was going to ask you next, but but just those Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament, uh, when somebody is questioning whether God really wrote you know, the Old and New Testament through men and women, I guess, too, uh, how important that is. Uh, one more question, and then I'm, I'm going to uh, make some announcements. In the creation story in Genesis one we read, Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why does God's word say our and us in that verse?
1: Yeah, that is a, uh, that's a great question. That's usually taken one of two ways. So let me tell you, first of all, the way I don't take it. <laughs> okay. Uh, there, there are some who want to say that the us there is, is God talking to his angelic host. So you can kind of picture God, and he's got all these angels around him, and he says, why don't we let us make man in our image? Mm. I don't believe that's what's going on there, because if that were the case, then we would have to say that we are, just, we are created in the image of God and angels. Because if God is speaking to his heavenly host, and he says us, then that would mean, of course, that they were included. But we don't bear the image of angels, we bear the image of God. So I think the better way to interpret the us and the our there is the way it's been interpreted basically since the beginning of Christianity, that this is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, speaking. So the Father is saying to the Son and the Spirit, the Son and the Spirit are saying to the Father, let us make man in our image. So already in Genesis 1, we have evidence of the fact that God is one, and yet he's also three persons. So this would be the Trinity speaking here at the creation of Adam and Eve.
0: Very good. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Let me just make a few announcements, and then we'll come back to continue talking to Chad Bird His book the christ key family shield ministries cares about families growing in christ and equips them to witness to each other and to the world the family shield radio program is aired on more than 50 stations throughout the united states we also produce a weekly podcast that you can subscribe to and receive each week this week we're giving away the booklet the bible what when why to receive this complimentary booklet Call the Family Shield Response Center 1877 250 8416 or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. We encourage you to sign up to receive our complimentary email newsletter on our website or connect with us through Facebook. As a listener-supported ministry, your prayers and financial support are critical. Please consider a financial gift to support Family Shield. Your support allows us to continue to share the Saving Gospel message with listeners through this program in your community. Please note also our new address, Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116, or you can charge a gift at www.familyshieldministries.com. Now I want to go back to our program. Again, my guest is Chad Bird, author of The Christ Key, Unlocking the Centrality of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, right before I made those announcements, you made a comment about Genesis 1.27, talking about when the creation story says, let us make man in our image. Any other thoughts about other places where we see this terminology that we can uh, contribute to the triune God?
1: Yes, actually, all over the place. Um, for instance, you don't even get two verses into the Scriptures because before you already encounter the Holy Spirit. So we read in Genesis 1, 1, of course, God creates the heavens and the earth, but then we get to Genesis 1, verse 2, and already we, we're we here about His Spirit, and His Spirit comes up all over the place in the Old Testament. We tend to think of the Holy Spirit as kind of a, a New Testament person mm-hmm. of, the, of the Trinity, but uh, the Holy Spirit is, is described as the, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of the Lord, or as the Holy Spirit all over the Old Testament. So the Spirit is there at creation, the Spirit is there at the Red Sea, the Spirit is spoken of in the Psalms. And then the second person, the Trinity, the Son of God, is also all over the place as well. He sometimes appears as the Word of the Lord. Uh, In the book, I talk about how he often, very often, appears as the messenger of the Lord. It's usually translated angel, but the Hebrew word Behind that is malak, and a malak just means a messenger. It can be a human messenger, an angelic messenger, or in this case, a divine messenger. So, for instance, at the burning bush, that's the messenger of the Lord who appears. And when this messenger appears, he is called God, he's called the Lord, he speaks with divine authority, he has the divine name in him. And so, already, again, from the earliest centuries uh, this messenger is understood to be the second person of the Trinity. This is the Son of God appearing to his people already in the book of Genesis, Exodus, and so on and so forth. So we don't, God isn't, as some people kind of, people kind of have this misimpression that God sort of evolves I Mm. suppose into a Trinity or something. Uh, He starts out just as as one God and he becomes three persons. No, no, he's He's always, from all eternity, been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And he reveals himself that way in the Old Testament as in the New Testament as well.
0: You bet. You bet. You know what I usually say? It's the Old Testament, the telescope is a little not sharp, not clear, and the New Testament yeah. clarifies things. So it's now sharp and clear, and that's just the way I explain it. It's like the Old Testament, there's, it's all there. But it's just not yeah. as clear and i i like to use that analogy just to help people understand it i think it's very true the new testament really clarifies a lot of who god is and what he has done for us very
1: good absolutely yeah that's good. a great analogy to use yeah. yeah
0: so the apostle paul says in second corinthians 4 4 christ is the image of the invisible God. And then he adds that he is the first bond of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Corinthians 1, 15 to 17, which if that's, I think that's first Corinthians, I forgot to write that down. Um, what does that mean? Christ is the image of the invisible God.
1: That means that when we see the Son of God, we are seeing how God wishes, to, wishes us to see him. So he is the, he's the face of God. He is God for us. So as the image of the invisible God, that means that, as Paul will say elsewhere, that all the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ bodily. So if you want to, in other words, if you want to know what God is like, if you know, want to know what God thinks of us, if you want to know how God reveals himself to us, well, then you look no further than Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. So we don't receive part of God in Jesus, in other words. We receive all of who he is. So he is the full revelation of who of who the Father is, which, of course, for us is is the best of news, because how does Jesus reveal himself to us? So he reveals who he is and who the Father and the Spirit are by giving himself up for us on the cross mm-hmm. and then rising again for our for our justification. So as the image of the invisible God, he reveals to us exactly who the Father and the Spirit are. That's
0: great. That's great. Uh, another connected to that verse. What is the connection between Christ as the image of God and Adam and Eve being made in the image of God? And by the way, whenever I ask that question, people don't understand what it means uh, that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. I wrote a Bible study and everybody was saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm like... (laughs) Oh goodness! <laughs> so I'm gonna let you answer that, <laughs> but uh, just just those connections. Um, uh, Christ as the image of God and Adam and Eve being made in the image of God, which I think is in Genesis. So just touch yeah, that.
1: yeah. I, I, there's there, of course we could we could talk for a long time about what it means to be made in the image of God. I'll, I'll touch on it briefly here. Um, the way that many of the Church Fathers like to, like to put this, and I think it's consistent with, with the way the Scriptures speak, is that Christ is the image of God, and then we are made in the image of God, meaning that Christ is the image in which we are made, so that already from the beginning, the Father is making humanity in the image of His Son, which if you look at Luther's commentary on Genesis, he says we already have here a a subtle hint of the coming incarnation of Jesus. Because if God the Father makes humanity in the image of his Son, and humanity, of course, is humanity, that's sort of a, what you might think of as a prophecy of the coming incarnation. So that the one in whose image we are made will actually become as we are. He himself will take on our our human nature. So already in the Garden of Eden, already in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, we have here, as it were, a, a preview of Christmas, if you will. Mm. Uh, when, once we had the birth of Jesus, and we go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, we're like, aha! Already at the beginning, in the creation of humanity, God was, as it were, pointing forward to when He Himself would become human mm. as one of us.
0: Mm. Good. Wonderful. All right. Um, Our time's winding down here, but you touched on the Lord's messenger um, and um, Moses keeping flock for his father-in-law and the burning bush. Just talk a little bit more about Jesus being the Lord's messenger, or the angel of the Lord, uh, which you also touched on a little bit. Uh, What do you mean by the messenger of God?
1: Yeah, so... uh we have a lot of occasions beginning in Genesis 16 with the messenger's appearance to Hagar and then continuing with his appearance to Moses at the burning bush and a lot of other lot of other cases in the Old Testament where this special messenger now the yes most of your English translations will will have angel there but as I have always told my students, when you see angel in the Old Testament, just kind of do an immediate mental translation and read that as messenger oh. because the Hebrew malach, which is translated as angel there, just literally means messenger. So you have some people that are referred to as a malach. You have some angels that are referred to as a malach. But you also have this very special malach, this very special messenger who, when he shows up, such as in Exodus 3 at the burning bush, he actually speaks as God, calls himself God, is called the Lord, and speaks with full divine authority. So this is, as I argue in the book, this is the Son of God. He is the messenger in that he's the one who bears the word and message from the Father to humanity. Just like Jesus will later say in the Gospels, I don't come to do my will, but the will of my Father. I don't come to speak my words, but the words of the Father. In other words, everything that Jesus is doing in his ministry, he is bringing the message and the will and the words of the Father to humanity. And that's nothing new. He was doing that already in the Old Testament when he was the messenger of the Father, the messenger of the Lord, who appeared to Moses,
0: called him. Just about out of time. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: So anyway, that's that's what he is in the Old Testament. He's this messenger of the Lord.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. We could keep talking about that, and you certainly share more in your book, "The Christ Key," unlocking the centrality of Christ in the Old Testament. The book is by Chad Bird, and um, we have about a minute left, so I'm not sure I have time to ask you about fifteen seventeen. But you teach courses uh, that our listeners can learn about at 1570.org slash courses, and of course, they can also order your book. Where can they get that book from the same place?
1: Yeah, they can order the book from 1517.org or, you know, Amazon, it's, it's there too, and if they go okay. to 1517.org, they can find the courses there as well.
0: Wonderful, and we always uh, link our guest books to our recommended books on our website as well so you can look for it there again this is Kay Meyer with Family Shield Uh, learn more about Family Shield at www.familyshieldministries.com thanks for listening you've been listening to Family Shield a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com. Right Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri 63116, and tune in again next week for Family Shield.